Welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You are joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald, and hello, or hey, ladies, to producer yeah. Annabelle hey. Lee. Ladies. Hey, my <laughs> ladies. Coming up on today's show, an Aussie paper tried to out Rebel Wilson's same-sex relationship and it sparked global backlash. Britney Spears' star-studded wedding, Missy Higgins' heartbreak, Jennifer Hudson makes history and then we dive deep into the Bailey Smith white powder controversy. The AFL's most marketable star becomes the latest Aussie celebrity to be caught holding the bag. <laughs> I wrote that and I was quite proud of it. I hadn't even read it before I was reading it out. But first, Mish, how was your week? It was a pretty good week, Zara. I loved inviting, as I know you both did, yeah. Melissa Leong into the shameless office late last week. It was perhaps the highlight of my time in this company. For those who have missed the memo, perhaps this is your first episode. And if it is, welcome. So glad to have you. We are on a very serious, very organised campaign to get Melissa Leong from MasterChef the gold logie on Sunday. Yeah, you know, the award of all awards, the night of all nights. <laughs> we want it for her because she's amazing. She is a living legend. And some people may have thought, oh, the girls will just give her a few podcast shout outs. It'll no, end at no, that. No, no, <laughs> no. When we commit to something... We commit wholeheartedly. So we brainstormed as a team and we decided to invite Melissa into the office and for the three of us to cook slash bake her a bogan office lunch. Yeah, the kind of lunch that you can only really create with the tools at your disposal, mm -hmm. yeah. which is in our office actually quite a bit. But none of us really <laughs> rose to the occasion with that in mind. No, and we had 10 minutes max to be yes. able to cook our meal for her. Anyone who follows us on Instagram or TikTok has probably seen episode one and two. They dropped on Tuesday night and last night. If you want to find out who won, spoiler alert, it's not fucking Annabelle Lee like the majority <laughs> of you voted for. It's not I really Annabelle. appreciated this support, though, from everybody. You were the favourite. We polled people in our Instagram story being like, who's going to win? And you were like the out and out favourite. They're nice. going to fucking watch it and be like, that's rank, definitely not Annabelle. It's because they haven't seen Melissa Leong spit out your anchovies. <laughs> <laughs> they, haven't, they don't have the you know privilege of having that footage yet. They didn't see the pools of oil yeah. inside the crevices of those anchovies. Uh -huh. <laughs> it has been such a joy making that this week, like so much fun. We've got a stand-in editor at the moment, Charlotte, who's put it all together for us and I'm just, I dare I say, best thing we've ever done. Oh, <laughs> I am so proud of it and I also like loved Mitch last night was in the other room and I could just hear him replaying episode one <laughs> over and over again because he loves it as much as I do. So go watch the series over on our socials. Also go vote for Melissa Leong. It literally takes 30 seconds max. Click a few things. We'll put it in the show notes. Annabelle Lee looking at oh, you. Oh, I will. Please Don't do worry. that. <laughs> Please get Melissa Leong this gold Logie. She deserves it. Yeah, she absolutely does. Do you have a recommendation for me today? I do. I've been binging Love Island UK season eight has just come out. So How is it going? It's good. It always takes a couple of weeks to get really invested because the couples are getting to know each other. Don't roll your eyes at me. It's important. It's a bit long. It's a couple of weeks. <laughs> and that's I, like an episode a night. It's like seven episodes a week. Yeah, oh, Love yeah. Island more like longer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. It's basically a full-time job, but I do absolutely love it. It's getting there. It's getting there. I'm not going to say it's a flop yet. I'm like excited. Oh on the bandwagon. <laughs> I'm a diehard fan. I could never slight Love Island on this podcast. I do have a formal recommendation though. Have you guys heard of the Unreal podcast no. about reality TV? Yeah, this is Pandora Sykes as well. Yeah. And I feel bad because I know you had a Pandora Sykes recommendation I before I did. So. I had it in the notes before you did, but that's fine. We can share. I need the listeners to know Zara was on the Pandora train this week before I was. We've been on the Pandora train for about four years. <laughs> and I'm not recommending this podcast because I haven't listened to it yet. So talk me through it. Okay. It's all about critically analyzing the history of reality TV. There are 10 episodes. Every episode kind of fits a theme. The episode I really want to recommend is the Makeover Era episode. Pandora and her co-host Shirin Kale dive deep into the swan 
which is a show I talked to you about when we were on a walk a few weeks ago, Zara. Tell me you were listening when I was like, oh, you don't <laughs> <Crickets>. remember. <laughs> it's the sh- remember how I was telling you about the show where they make ugly ducklings, I'm putting that in inverted commas, go through all this plastic surgery to get a makeover? Oh, yes, but that's a bit like extreme makeover and stuff like that. Like I used to watch some of those. Those are cool. Yeah. Those shows. So some of these women were put through 14 plastic surgeries oh. to then, you know, be loved by their husband at the end of it. Like it was completely fucked. So they do a big deep dive into that which I was obsessed with then they talk about Trini and Susanna's what not to wear and go back through that show which I know you'd be interested in your eyes just lit up I used to like that show no so do I but they they give it they give a balanced review of the show okay the positive and the negative and as a diehard Trini and Susanna fan I left it thinking Fair. Like, I also really enjoyed that show. They made some fair points. Yeah, look, I imagine half the shit I consumed at 12 was, like, deeply problematic on television, (laughs) so I'm not surprised. That sounds really good. Yeah, you should definitely listen to it. What about you? What are you recommending? So, I actually can throw you two recommendations if you want them. Two? Yes, please. Yes. Is this just your new thing? You just double recommendation every week. It's kind of like hedging your bets. Like, if someone's (laughs) like one thing, oop, I've got another up my sleeve. So, the first thing that I wanted to recommend was an interview that Pandora Sykes did do with Tina Brown. Now, Tina Brown is, of course, the former editor of Vanity Fair, The New Yorker, and Tatler. And she wrote this incredible book called The Vanity Fair Diaries a couple of years ago, which I just devoured. You're I obsessed loved with that, that book. book. It was yeah. amazing. And she's just released a new book called The Palace Papers, and it is all about the royal family. Now, Tina Brown actually wrote a book about Diana that ended in 1997. This book picks up in 1997, right after the death of Diana. Now, I've been desperate to get this book, but it's like 800 pages. So I haven't I haven't the heart yet to start it, but I've just been like listening to every interview I can find about it. I thought you were going to say $800 and you were looking at me to be like, can we spend more money on <laughs> royal related merch for the show? 800 pages. Yay. Maybe when I split it and then we do a joint book club to fill each other in. It's overwhelming, <laughs> isn't it? Though, yeah. that, that idea of consuming 800 pages. That's Obama memoir. Yes, but this sounds like a totally remarkable book because the stories that Tina Brown has in this interview with Pandora Sykes about the royal family, I mean, I know there's so much about the royal family around, but just like the minutia of their lives and the tiny little controversies that happen behind the scenes or the tiny little ways that they live their lives, I find totally fascinating. And this interview is really fascinating. I love Pandora. I love Tina and it's it's really good. It was recorded live, so the audio is live audio. It's not quite as strong, but I'm, I'm not phased by that. Yeah. My second very quick recommendation is, I don't know how I stumbled on this yesterday because it wasn't around the Rebel Wilson stuff, which we will dive into soon, but I stumbled on a, an old interview that George Michael did with Desert Island Discs from Ooh. about 2007, 2008. Random. Before he died. And they spoke about how he was outed back in 1998. And I had never really consumed much stuff of George Michael. I mean, I love his music but I've never listened to him be interviewed and I really really liked this interview it's only about 36 minutes but I thought given what we're about to talk about it is really interesting also there's this really sort of sad bit in the interview where of course with Desert Island Discs the whole premise is the interviewee brings a handful of songs that mean a lot to them that they take to a desert island. The first song he said was, I picked this song because this woman is going through it at the moment and I really hope she can beat the media. I really hope she can pull through. Oh, no, don't. And it was Amy Winehouse and it was three years before she died. And I was like, oh, it's so eerie listening to that Mm. about how even public figures around Amy Winehouse knew that she was being put through the absolute ringer Mm. and he was like, we need to put our arms around her right now. Here's Amy's song. And I was like, oh, my God, how moving. But also how deeply sad. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a way to lighten the tone for the rest of the show. (laughs) But it really – you know those things that just sort of slap you when you listen to it? That's why I kind of love listening to the old Desert Island Discs episode because there's there's some real surreal moments in there. Some real real surreal. (laughs) (laughs) No, but some real wisdom as well that kind of stands the test of time. For sure. So – I'll put that one in the show notes too. And when I say I will put that in the show notes too. Annabelle. Annabelle. (laughs) In the show notes. You're welcome. (laughs) Those sound epic. Great recommendations, 10 out of 10. Right back at you. I loved yours as well. I can't wait to listen. I kind of spoiled it already. We are going to start today in the first segment of the show by talking about Rebel Wilson, Mish, because it was a story you really couldn't escape. Yeah, absolutely. If you missed the memo, one of Australia's most high-profile actresses in Rebel and our traditionally most or up there with our most respected newspapers in the country, the Sydney Morning Herald, became 
global headlines this week. It has become a huge story and one that has left us really bewildered ever since it broke. Yeah, let's go right back to the beginning, right? Because I imagine people have picked up bits and pieces from this, but maybe haven't consumed the story in its entirety. Mm. On Friday, 42-year-old Rebel Wilson posted a photo on Instagram announcing that she has a new partner. Her name is Ramona. And she said, I thought I was searching for a Disney prince, but maybe what I really needed all this time was a Disney princess. She hashtag love is love. Now, it was the first time that Rebel Wilson had come out to her legions of fans. Mm, yeah, she had spoken to People magazine a few weeks ago and she'd acknowledged that she was in a relationship and really happy but didn't reveal her partner's identity. She said this, I think going through the process of finding more self-worth, I think that what you want in a partner is elevated. And so it's great to have someone who feels like an equal partner and be in a healthy relationship. There were times, I'm not saying with all my exes, they're great, but there were some times that I was probably putting up with what I shouldn't have. So it feels different to be in a really healthy relationship. So this on surface level, seemed nothing more than a beautiful love story, right? Like Rebel Wilson's happy, she's got this beautiful female partner and she announced that she was in a same-sex relationship in Pride Month. So on the surface, everything seemed calm and lovely. But when you dive beneath the surface, Zara, it's a lot muddier than that. Yeah, because it seemed very much like she was ready to tell her story and she was ready to announce this relationship to the world. Not quite that, though. On Sunday, Private Sydney's column comes out. Now, Private Sydney is this column written by journalist Andrew Hornery in the Sydney Morning Herald. Andrew Hornery is a very well-known gossip columnist, particularly in New South Wales. I think he's made many a socialite life a <laughs> bit of misery from time to time. Now, he wrote his column and here's a passage from the piece. It was with an abundance of caution that this media outlet emailed Rebel Wilson's reps on Thursday morning, giving her two days to comment on her new relationship with another woman before publishing a single word. Big mistake. Wilson opted to gazump the story, posting about her new Disney princess on Instagram early Friday morning, the same platform she had previously used to brag about her handsome ex-boyfriend, wealthy American beer baron, Jacob Bush. I need to talk to you about that tone. Why are we juxtaposing Rebel posting about her new female partner with how she used to brag, again in inverted commas, about her boyfriend? As if the fact she had a boyfriend before is relevant to having a female partner now. It feels snarky or somehow loaded about bisexuality or about... I don't know, entering a same-sex relationship after having a history of dating men. I think I read that as insinuating that in some way, and I don't know if this is a stretch, I don't think it is, that Rebel is disingenuous in either originally posting about her ex-boyfriend or posting about this one. I don't know which way he's trying to point the finger but it definitely feels like that. As if we don't all post about our partners despite having previous partners who may have also been on our Instagram page. Like it is the most ordinary, typical thing ever to break off one relationship <laughs> and then eventually post about your new partner. For sure. Now, the piece went on and said, up until now, Wilson had identified publicly as a heterosexual woman. It is unlikely she would have experienced the sort of discrimination, let alone homophobia, subconscious or overt, that still sadly affects so many gay, lesbian and non hetero people. Now it should be said Andrew Hornery in case you can't tell through some of this wording is gay himself but I think it goes without saying I'm not entirely sure the relevance of her not going through a public struggle of her sexuality. Yeah it's like if she didn't struggle with that publicly she didn't struggle at all and how are we to know that? Yes and so as you can tell through that piece Andrew Hornery through the Private Sydney column basically told the world that they had put an ultimatum through Rebel Wilson to come out, yeah. that they were going to force her to come out. And they decided to admit this freely themselves. <laughs> it just blows my mind that no one would have known that they were trying to out Rebel Wilson. Maybe Rebel would have come out years down the track and rightly told this story. But it was like Sydney Morning Herald put themselves in this fire through no one else trying to put them there. Well, it's all ego, 
Right, because it's basically the Sydney Morning Herald and Andrew Cornery wanting to tell the world that they had the scoop first. Yeah. Everyone's like, I think you might have missed the point. <laughs> yeah. So what we now know for sure is that at 9am on Thursday last week, Andrew Hornery sent Rebel's PR team, her management team, an email that included this line. While I realise Rebel's partner has not been mentioned as yet, I have several sources who have confirmed their status and I have enough detail to publish. Now, the details of this story have angered and upset so many people around the world. It has been run in the Independent over in the UK, the New York Times and the Washington Post. Multiple tweets expressing people's disappointment about this have repeatedly racked up over 100,000 likes. Yeah, and as we know, this isn't the first time that Rebel Wilson has been treated really poorly by the Australian media. Listeners might remember that she was accused of lying about her name, age and background in 2015 by Bauer. She successfully sued them for more than $4 million, which was later downgraded to about six hundred grand. but it was one of the biggest defamation payouts we've ever seen. Mm. You can imagine she's probably getting a little sick of this country and the sort of tall poppy-esque media. The snark. And the snark that surrounds our reporting of her. What was even more disappointing, Mish, particularly for everyone watching this story quite closely, was when the editor of the Sydney Morning Herald, Bevan Shields, decided to acknowledge this controversy head on. And he wrote his own story <laughs> that was terrible. He did. He said, I've been reading this feedback closely. Well, clearly you haven't. <laughs> In the interests of transparency, I wanted to offer the Herald's view on the issue. Our weekly private Sydney column last week asked Wilson if she wished to comment about her new partner. We would have asked the same questions had Wilson's partner been a man. To say that the Herald outed Wilson is wrong. Like other mastheads do every day, we simply ask questions as a standard practice and included a deadline for a response. He went on, I had made no decision about whether or what to publish and the Herald's decision about what to do would have been informed by any response Wilson supplied. Wilson made the decision to publicly disclose her new partner, who had been a feature of her social media accounts for months. That is such bullshit. And also imagine being the editor of a newspaper and including the line, I had made no decision about whether or what to publish. As if to say, well, my hands are clean. I'm the editor, but I wasn't involved here. You're the face of the publication, essentially. Every decision rightly comes back to you. That's why you're paid the big bucks as the editor. Yeah, you've got to fall on your sword. To make matters even worse for the Sydney Morning Herald, oh, an internal email <laughs> from an anonymous staffer is now making headlines too. Now, as reported by The Guardian, it read, our reputation is trashed. Management silence us on social media and treat our audience with contempt. One doesn't have to search far to find the common denominator in those editorial decisions clearly going after editor Bevan. That line, our management are treating our audience with contempt, I agree with wholeheartedly yeah. in this story. I think you are playing your audience for fools if you are running with the line, oh, this is the same story because we just asked the same questions if she had a new boyfriend. Yeah, like we're not idiots. Yeah. We all have brains. I hate when media publications or when, I don't know, hoity-toity editors. Hoity-toity. That's <laughs> <laughs> the only word I can think of. Do this to their readers and their audience. Like we all can critically think about this. We can see it for what it is. And they are wildly different scenarios. A hundred percent. And that's why after all of this, even after Bevan Shields came out and defended the publication's decision, the original columnist Andrew Hornery still came out with an apology a couple of days after this all unfolded. He wrote in a new article, I have learned some new and difficult lessons from this and want to be upfront with you about the things I got wrong. It is not the Herald's business to out people and that is not what we set out to do. But I understand why my email has been seen as a threat. The framing of it was a mistake. The Herald and I will approach things differently from now on to make sure we always take into consideration the extra layer of complexities people face when it comes to their sexuality. Yeah, also, I think you know an apology is not a very good one when Bevan Shields had to come out with a second one <laughs> as well. So there's been like four iterations of an apology where they're slowly starting to say, oh, yeah, maybe we really fucked up. I mean, the person we haven't heard from much at all through this entire story is Rebel Wilson, of course. The only thing we've really seen from her is a tweet reply she wrote to a Channel 10 journo that read, thank you for your comments. It was a very hard situation, but trying to handle it with grace. And that she is. I'm just annoyed that people have to, public figures have to handle these situations with grace when realistically they should never be put in that situation to begin with. 
coming up after the break. Britney Spears' star-studded wedding, Missy Higgins' heartbreak, Jennifer Hudson is making history, and then the AFL's most marketable star encounters his biggest controversy yet. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara, two-minute noodles, McDonald. What have you got for us? I don't even think we told the, the listeners that I had cooked Melissa two-minute noodles, so now I've had to give context <laughs> on your nickname. My first story. Inside Britney Spears and Sam Asghari's wedding at home in Los Angeles. That is from Vogue. Yeah, these two have finally wed. They met in 2016 on the set of Britney's music video. They are, of course, now husband and wife per Vogue. Britney and Sam married on Thursday, June 9, in a ceremony at their secluded Thousand Oaks home in Los Angeles. The bride wore a sleek, off-the-shoulder custom Versace dress with a leg-revealing slit up one side and a classic white veil with satin edging. Sam complimented Britney's look in a tux, also by Versace. Yeah, so they had a 10-minute ceremony. I love that. Do you love that? Love an easy breezy ceremony. I love a quick ceremony. I actually think while we're here, a wedding ceremony really could just be the vows. Oh, yes. Mm. All I'm looking for is the vows. I'm desperate to hear the vows and then I'm kind of tapping out for the rest. Legally though, and I only know this because we met with our wedding celebrant a few weeks ago. You've got to say all that other shit. If you just do the legal shit, you're up to 10 minutes already. So I think what they've done is gone, scrap the vows, scrap all the bells and whistles, just get us married because there's a heap of stuff you have to say really specifically for the marriage to even be formalized. Well, I was talking to my brother recently and he went to a wedding and he said the ceremony was like 15 minutes and he was like amazing and I was like well what about the vows? He goes no nah, nah, they were none and I was like what, what the fuck are you going to the wedding for? Why are you so excited to go to this wedding with a 15 minute ceremony when you don't know why they love each other? The vows are the best bit. I will mm. hear nothing from anyone that counters my argument that the vows are they, the best bit of a wedding. It's, it's actually the best part of life. <laughs> <laughs> if I love hearing my people love each other it's so good and I don't like when people fall back on just the generic vows Mm. write your own vows I can't wait to write my vows I've already written mine and I'm getting married in November (laughs) Michelle and I have always said this is our time to shine (laughs) the wedding's actually not about you or Mitch it'll just be Michelle trying to take the stage to make people cry have you seen that episode sorry this is such a long tangent of Monica in Friends when she's trying to read it and just make people cry that will be you at your wedding I don't know if I need people to cry I just need people to walk away and go oh how heartfelt and personal. Yeah, that's, so <laughs> that's my litmus test for success. So it's all ego as well. It's yeah. amazing. Anyway, the wedding of Brittany and Sam back here was attended by the likes of Selena Gomez, which I was surprised to see, Drew Barrymore, Madonna, Paris Hilton, Kathy Hilton, Ansel Elgort, Will I Am, Donatella Versace. Notable absentees, of course, were Brittany's immediate family. Her mother Lynn wasn't there, her father Jamie, her sister Jamie Lynn wasn't there there they all as we know played crucial roles in keeping Britney under that conservatorship yeah and I want to know I've got a question about this because obviously as you just said mum dad sister snubbed from the Mm -hmm. wedding not on the guest list do we find it strange that Britney's mum Lynn commented on her wedding Instagram post with this for sure (laughs) (laughs) you look radiant and so happy your wedding is the dream wedding And having it at your home makes it so sentimental and special. I am so happy for you. I love you. I just feel like if you have been accused of treating your daughter so poorly for so long and profiting off of her mistreatment, let her wedding day just be about her. You haven't been invited. Stop generating headlines about yourself. And to be blunt, fuck off. Like, don't leave this on her post. Send her that as a text if you actually mean it. Why are you leaving that for the world to see? It seems super manipulative. And incredibly performative. Back to the wedding as well, though. There was no first dance, according to Vogue. But Britney and Paris reportedly performed a duet of Stars Are Blind together, which I just think is like completely (laughs) iconic. I love that. The other main song was Toxic by, of course, Britney Spears. Perfect wedding song. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this wedding dance floor would have been iconic full stop. 100%. My second story. Singer Missy Higgins shares the shock news that she has quietly split from husband Dan Lee and has been a single parent for six months. Something I never thought would happen That is from the Daily Mail. Now, this one made me sad, as I'm sure it did for all lovers of the song 
futon couch, <laughs> real pure blue, pure blue, true blue. <laughs> true blue. Missy fans will know what I'm talking about right now. Now, Missy Higgins, of course, announced that she split from her husband of six years, Dan Lee, six months ago. They have two children, Samuel, who is seven, and Luna, who is three. They've been reportedly together since about 2013, Mish. Yeah, her caption announcing this on Instagram was really beautiful and we want to read most of it out because you and I cared a heap about this story as soon as it broke. I put it into our Slack channel and said, guys, am I the only one who cares? And you couldn't stop talking about the futon couch. (laughs) And now I feel like a pretender because I don't know that song. (laughs) So, yeah, that's okay. You're allowed to care about this. As not as much of a Missy fan as the rest of us, you're still allowed to care. I love songs like Steer and Special 2. Was it Special 2? Is that the yeah, name? Well, I love all the, the most basic- famous one. Yeah. Scar, have you heard that one? Yeah. <laughs> the basic bitch songs I love, but I do care a lot about this. So if I may, I know I'm not a real fan. No, no, no. You know what? I think Missy Higgins would say there's no such thing as real and fake fans. She'd take you. She'd have you. <laughs> all right, here it goes. The shame of a failed marriage, a broken family, all the things I swore I would never let happen, happened. I was so determined for this not to be my story. We tried many ways to keep the story alive, keep things together, keep on searching down new avenues of hope or hope-covered denial as it may have been. But then life happens, doesn't it? And once again, I'm on my knees and utterly humbled by my inability to control it. I'm still grieving. I realised this today as I was walking through the bush, crying like a lunatic in the rain, grieving the way I thought things would turn out, grieving the never-ending storybook love story I will never have, the unattainable one that's fed to me every time I turn on the TV. I am lucky, though, because unlike some stories, Dan and I still love and respect each other and have come to this decision together. He is still my best friend and will always have each other's backs. We did, after all, make two incredible little humans together. It's, like, so well-written. She went on and said, I'm telling you this because, well, I share my life stuff and this feels pretty big. I also thought it would be helpful if you're going through the same thing. If you are and you feel anything like I do, you probably feel like you failed at life. Your question everything up until this point your childhood your parents your ideals your life choices what the future will hold now that the fairy tale is in cinders on the floor but to all the shattered hearts out there inside the compounds of their homes grieving quietly and feeling like an anomaly you are not alone you are not broken you are just human we are all just making it up as we go sending love to all of you out there I mean it's no surprise she's written some absolute bangers because the woman can write she yeah I read that and thought that is so beautifully done no wonder you have had the success you've had you've clearly got the most brilliant mind 100% look Missy Higgins if you're listening (laughs) you're a national treasure (laughs) we love you we're sending you love and uh I will listen to Futon Couch. Michelle will listen to Futon Couch to understand what I'm talking about. Everyone go listen to it. Stream Missy Higgins after this episode. It's the song she wrote about meeting her husband on a Futon Couch. Okay, would she want me to listen to that? Well, it's an iconic song. I remember seeing Missy Higgins perform it as she'd just written it. She was supporting Ed Sheeran back many, many years ago. She was pregnant with Luna and she's like, this is a song Futon Couch. This is about my husband, Dan. Here's a story I want to tell. So... That's that's all I remember. Everyone go stream Missy. Let's give her some support. Yeah, she definitely needs our streams. <laughs> <laughs> She's doing more than fine. My third story, Jennifer Lopez says co-headlining the Super Bowl halftime show was the worst idea in the world. That is from the LA Times. Yeah, it turns out J-Lo was not happy that the NFL made her and Shakira co-headliners at that now iconic, very memorable 2020 Super Bowl halftime show. And we know this because her Netflix documentary called Halftime just dropped. Yeah, so originally she debuted her documentary at the Tribeca Film Festival, which is where all these headlines came from. Now, according to Netflix, the documentary itself reflects, and I quote, on her multifaceted career and the pressure of life in the spotlight. I mean, sold. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I mean... Now, listeners, of course, will remember, as Mish touched on before, when Shakira and J-Lo co-headlined the Super Bowl in 2020, it was a really iconic 14-minute long performance. But in this documentary, J-Lo's longtime manager, Benny Medina, took aim at the NFL for co-headlining the two together. Benny said, typically you have one headliner at the Super Bowl. That headliner constructs a show and should they choose to have other guests, that's their choice. It was an insult to say you needed two Latinas to do the job that one artist has historically 
done. Mm. Now, a scene in the documentary reportedly shows J-Lo Mish frustrated by the really limited amount of time each superstar was allotted for the show. Yeah, she said if it was going to be a double headliner, they should have given us 20 minutes. That's what they should have fucking done. We have six fucking minutes. She was saying this to music director Kim Burse at the time. We have 30 seconds of a song and if we take a minute, that's it. We've got five left. But there's got to be certain songs that we sing though. We have to have our singing moments. It's not going to be a dance fucking review. We have to sing our message. Yeah, she went on and said it is the worst idea in the world to have two people do the Super Bowl. Now, I don't know a bunch about the Super Bowl halftime show, but when I was reading this story and went back to dig about how this usually functions, the team are absolutely right. Going back through the records of the last decade or the last decade before these two performed, no one co-headline. Acts who were picked got to headline their own show, as Benny Medina said, and they invited guests out. The last time I could find that someone co-headlined before 2020 was in 2004 with that now infamous performance between Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson. They Mm. shared the stage with a bunch of other stars like Jessica Simpson. But they're all absolutely right. Yeah, I can't wait to watch this documentary. It's only just landed, so we haven't had time to watch it in full yet. But I'm curious to see the dynamic between J-Lo and Shakira. If J-Lo's saying, like, this is the worst idea in the world, we don't have the ability to co-headline something that's, what, under 15 minutes long. How does that play out between the two women themselves? Are they both venting about that? Are they both kind of annoyed at the system and therefore expressing that annoyance with each other? I wonder if we're going to see that dynamic play out. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Now, my fourth story, a happy one. Jennifer Hudson joins EGOT winners after Tony Victory. That is from The Guardian and this is just amazing. Yeah, it's a super quick one, guys. We just wanted to let you know Jennifer Hudson has officially topped her field. Like she's officially been crowned essentially a mastermind of the entertainment industry, an absolute genius. She has now won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar and a Tony Award in her lifetime. Kind of winning an EGOT is referred to as getting a grand slam in the industry. Yeah, but way harder to do. Now, to recap her extreme success, Jennifer Hudson won Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars in 2007 for her role in Dreamgirls, which was just widely celebrated. She won Best R&B Album at the 2009 Grammys. She won a Daytime Emmy in 2021, 2021, 2021 <laughs> for producing a short animation called Baba Yaga. And now she grabbed a Tony for producing a musical called A Strange Loop. I just think it's so insane that someone can win all four. I'm in awe. I'm in total awe that you can dominate music, TV, film, musicals. Like to do it all is just ridiculous. Other notable members of the exclusive EGOT list include John Legend, Audrey Hepburn and Whoopi Goldberg. This makes Jennifer Hudson the 17th person across history to achieve EGOT status. She's only 40 as well, which makes her the third youngest person to reach this level of success. She's also just had like the most insane trajectory to stardom. I mean, she started out on American Idol, which I feel like we so easily forget because she placed seventh on that show in 2004 and was kind of rejected because Simon Cowell told her you don't have what it takes. Yeah fuck you Simon Cowell. (laughs) (laughs) And she also hasn't at all had the easiest time like her private life has been all over the news in the last sort of 10 to 15 years with some really tragic things happening so it's really nice that she's been able to be celebrated in this way and not to get all mushy as well Mish but please we loved this tweet from a user called Therese Murphy a couple of days ago who said the next time someone and makes you doubt yourself, remember that Jennifer Hudson, who Simon Cowell famously said didn't have what it takes to make it in entertainment, became the 17th EGOT winner last night. All of the mushy feels yeah. in my book. I live for that. My fifth story, The Bachelors, Jimmy Nicholson and Holly Kingston say that OnlyFans isn't empowering as they tell raunchy reality stars to start a charity instead of selling nude photos online. <laughs> That is from the Daily Mail. So, Jimmy and Holly, who fell in love on The Bachelor 2021, who... To be honest, I, I quite like, they have quite nice energy. Uh, uh, they are causing a bit of controversy after they answered a follower's question, Mish, about when they were jumping on OnlyFans. Yes. Now, to their credit, 
or to the followers' credit maybe, this has been something that the media has been talking a lot about. Reality stars joining OnlyFans is very popular right now. We know that MAF stars Olivia and Jackson both recently joined. We discussed that on the show. So it's been in the media. It's been a topic of conversation. Not to their credit though, is how Jimmy and Holly chose to respond to the question. We're going to play the snippet in full here for the listeners. We get this question a lot and we figured <laughs> now is a good time to just answer it once and for all. No judgment towards anyone who does have OnlyFans, but I think there has been a little bit of a trend in people coming off reality shows and leveraging that degree of fame to then sell nudes online, which... Yeah, look, my problem is with it is that people sort of um, saying that they're, they're doing it because it's female empowerment, it's male, male empowerment, empowerment yeah. male empowerment. I think that's a lot of personally. Um, I think you need to, you should be, be a role model to the future generations. That do things, if you want to be celebrate male or female empowerment, um, start a charity, donate to, to breast cancer awareness, prostate cancer awareness, do these things. Um, I think it's a, it's a way to grab money and... Think about the, the, the example you're setting for the future generations. For your kids, when they're at school. Look, <laughs> I have so many thoughts on this. I actually don't know where to start. Future generations. Yeah, I think that's the pullout for me as well. Future generations essentially think of the children. Now, yeah, won't somebody think of the children? It is actually that. Yeah. I think one of the most helpful lessons that we've learned on this podcast is examine your annoyance or examine yeah. your snarkiness. To Jimmy Nicholson, wherever you are, maybe you're listening. Are you actually concerned about. about the children or are you just being a bit of a snob? Are you being a little classist, a little elitist, a little snarky towards people who choose to do this? Who are they hurting? Who's yeah. anyone hurting by OnlyFans? And what child it's so is on OnlyFans? <laughs> the two-year-olds aren't getting mummy's credit card to sign up to OnlyFans. If that was a worry. Anyway, I think as well for me, I totally agree with you, Mish. It's like examine what we're really concerned about here. The idea as well that someone couldn't sell nudes online and do charity work <laughs> is a little funny <laughs> for me. But also there was a line there that they said, you know, it's just a way to grab money. And it's like with great respect to influencers jobs and to be honest to ours as well there are definite people might say you're just grabbing money because you're getting sponsorships you're getting ads like in in that sense what's the difference charlotte in our office also raised a really good point earlier and she said it's a little difficult to stomach when a hetero guy gets online and basically trashes or rallies against OnlyFans as if hetero men aren't kind of like the backbone of the porn industry online <laughs> and have been for a long time. Like it just doesn't, there's something here, there's a lot of things here that aren't quite adding up or sitting right. And I think a lot of people have felt the same way because it's already making headlines. This has only come out as we're kind of putting this recording together, Zara. And the commentary on social media is pretty funny. The commentary online is pretty funny. And I think they Definitely should have just avoided this. Like you didn't need to answer this. this. It's one of those things where it's like no one backed you into this corner. <laughs> this could have been an at-home behind-the-scenes combo. Like no one, no one asked you to do it. I know uh, people are asking the question, but no one forced you to. I, I, I hope it will um, at least lead to a bit of rethinking and a bit of examining because perhaps it's required in this scenario. Think of the children. For now, guys, that's all I've got for you. Thank you. Thank you. Next, bitch. In case you missed it, over the weekend, photos of AFL star come Gen Z super celeb Bailey Smith with white powder were leaked online, forcing the 21-year-old to admit to severe anxiety that had spiralled out of control. The response generally has been pretty compassionate. Sponsors have stuck by him. Former football greats have thrown their support around him. So what do we make of this response and how does it compare to the other white powder controversies that have come before it? Zara, where should we begin well, with this story? Let's introduce Bailey Smith to our listeners because I'm sure they all have no idea who he is. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We have mentioned Bailey Smith on the podcast before, but in case you are listening from overseas or have somehow missed the memo on Basilinka fandom, which happens, let's give some context because Bailey Smith is far and away one of the most marketable stars, if not the most marketable star the AFL has ever seen. Mm. Now, 
normally this story would sort of sit in the realm of sport and we probably wouldn't touch it. But because his star power just extends so far beyond the AFL, we thought it would be totally remiss of us to not include this as a massive pop culture story because he's huge on social media, Mish. Yeah, he's got the most followers of any current AFL player. I'm talking more than Lance Buddy Franklin, more than Dustin Martin, more than Patrick Dangerfield, and not just by a few thousand, by tens of thousands of followers. He's also racked up endorsement deals with the likes of Monster Energy Drinks, Cotton On Men, and McDonald's. He's kind of like the face of Gen Z, TikTok, social media, larrikin culture. Like, we all think of Bailey Smith and we think of a few things. We think of that golden mullet blowing in the wind, and we think of his... Abs- like 12 pack. Yes, we absolutely do. I mean, absolutely. You, you, <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love you. Now, you can't really drive around Melbourne anywhere without seeing his face or his abs on a billboard. And also, during footy's off season, you can't really scroll through TikTok without seeing people filming him wet. Ever they are. I remember over the off season at the end of last year, which is a time we're about to talk about, my entire TikTok feed was just Bailey Smith out because people were like papping him on their phones everywhere he went. It would be an incredibly overwhelming experience to be him. Yeah, same. He's everywhere and he's only 21. I mean, I feel like we often talk about it girls, right? Like we we put these social media stars, these massive young celebrities up on a pedestal and call them it girls. He's an it boy for sure. Easily. I can't think of anyone in Australia who's more of an it boy than Bailey Smith. Yeah, absolutely. Now, late last year, around the same time as he was all over our TikTok, Mish, it was revealed that Bailey was taking leave from his club, the Western Bulldogs, signing mental health. Yeah. So why is he making headlines this week? Because lots of people, as we said in our teaser opener, woke up on Saturday morning to two things. They woke up to photos of Bailey Smith holding a pouch of white powder to a camera. They also woke to a video of Bailey Smith visibly snorting something in a nightclub while out with friends. This was going mad in group chats on Friday and Saturday. It then very, very quickly made its way out into the media and very quickly Bailey Smith came out with a statement responding to it. Yeah, this is what he said. He said, after much reflection, I am now in a position to confess to indulging in behaviours in late 2021, of which I am deeply ashamed. I do not have an excuse for these behaviours. However, the state of my mental health over that period post-grand final dramatically deteriorated and I spiralled out of control, leading to poor decision-making and actions at the time. The depth of my emotion over that period, coupled with some of my behaviours, have reminded me that, as a person, I am still very much a work in progress. I've made mistakes, I am very aware of that, and I fully own it. I unreservedly apologise to my family, teammates, club and its sponsors, the AFL, my supporters and my sponsors. I'm curious about your thoughts on this. Putting the Bailey Smith story to the side for a second, Is there a world where another public figure, be it a sports person, influencer, whatever, can come out with a story, with a scandal like this and not bring in mental health? Could they say, guys, I fucked up. I did something that was risk-taking. I made a poor decision. I'm sorry. Do we only give forgiveness or allow people back in to our good graces when they cite mental health in conjunction with party drugs. Yeah, I don't think the world is ready for that yet. I think particularly what's really interesting in this statement, but not at all surprising, is he references both the AFL sponsors and his own sponsors. Mm -hmm. And if we're talking about sponsors, I don't think a sponsor can really stomach the consumption of illicit substances without you know, a story in tandem about the reasoning behind that, be it mental health or something similar. Which is so interesting to me because we're clearly using dual thinking, right? Like so many of us know how common this is in young people and then so many of us also demand that when it's public we talk about mental illness despite knowing that, yeah, in lots of circumstances both don't have to exist together. For sure. And I think what was really, really interesting as well and pretty heartening from my perspective, Mish, is that pretty much immediately it was revealed that Bailey Smith's sponsors would be staying on with him. Now, whatever you think of 
the taking of illicit substances or the snorting of white powder or whatever it might be, I do simply believe that a young person in the public eye who makes a mistake, who has had really extensive issues with his mental health, and it's certainly not the first time we've heard about it, deserves our compassion. For sure. Like at the end of the day, I will always look at these scenarios and say, well, who are you hurting? Who are you deeply hurting? And if it's just yourself, you absolutely deserve our compassion and our empathy. And I really applaud these sponsors for standing by him. Yeah. And it was also pretty nice to see some of the headlines coming out of the media as well like the headlines treated this with the softness that I think the story demands take this headline from the age Smith tackles poor choices head-on with illicit substance confession this from the Courier Mail major sponsor back Smith during tough time and this from Fox Sports Bailey Smith opens up on indulging behaviors that left him deeply ashamed Yeah, I think the other thing that I found fascinating as well is I read this piece in the Herald Sun that was essentially, I'll call it a a pretty big puff piece Mm. on Bailey Smith. This was published on Tuesday, some three days or four days after the whole story emerged. The headline read, Bailey Smith quietly supported by girlfriend Gemma Dawkins after video scandal. Now, interestingly, the title of the piece says it all because they called it a a video scandal, nothing more than that. Now, not once, not once did this piece that was pretty long actually mention the white powder scandal, not once, just three days after it all happened. And the piece finished with, with 372,000 followers on Instagram and even more attention to come, he needs all the support he can get right now. Now, let's be clear, I don't mind that. Like, I think that response is pretty pretty strong. I do agree. At the minute this story broke over the weekend, to be honest, my first thought was, oh God, for a guy with existing mental health issues, this is going to be a lot. Like you hope that people are closing ranks around him. Again, whatever you think about illicit substances, I wouldn't put my worst enemy in that scenario, to be honest. You would not put your worst enemy. And I think if you ask us, Mish, Bailey Smith deserves to be treated this way by the media and by his his sponsors. He put himself in a compromising position, but you want people to kind of envelop him with empathy. Yeah, for sure. And I think the question that has come up for us, I mean, I brought this to you Mm. earlier in the week because I really wanted your thoughts on it. And now I want yours, Annabelle, and I want all of the listeners as well. Do we behave at all in the same way when it's a woman at the heart of a white powder story? Because it wasn't all that long ago that Nadia Bartel, who is, of course, a businesswoman and influencer and also known for being a former partner of AFL star Jimmy Bartel, when she was in a situation like this, people absolutely pillaged her. And I know that that September headline, that September story isn't identical to this one because we were in lockdown and Nadia did break lockdown restrictions to snort white powder. However, the coverage of that story that centred in on the white powder, in on the illicit drug use, was worlds apart from the way we've spoken about the illicit drug use of Bailey Smith. I 1000% agree with you. When you made this comparison to me, I was like, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Because the thing is, you're also right in saying these scenarios were not the same. Nadia was breaking lockdown. But I would argue the coverage in the weeks and months after that scandal focused nada on not at all on lockdown but instead we're constantly tying her to the white powder and I think when I went back and looked at the headlines that existed around this time about Nadia there was a real real dichotomy between how we are reporting on Bailey Smith right now and how we spoke about Nadia then here are some headlines from September 2021 Nadia Bartel dropped by brand after snorting scandal. That's from Yahoo. Jimmy Bartel is praised for being a wonderful father to his sons, Aston 5 and Henley 2, as his ex Nadia is shamed over white powder scandal. That's from the Daily Mail. Nadia Bartel's apology falls flat with fans who brand it gutless. That is from news.com. Now, that was literally just a hand. That was the, the first three I could mm. find. The insinuation around the Nadia Bartel stuff was that she shouldn't be parenting, that Jimmy Bartel was the wholesome, loving dad and she couldn't possibly be the same because this is the story that she'd embroiled herself in and that we couldn't accept her apology and brands should not stand by her. And again, so much of that criticism was not about lockdown. It was about the white powder. I mean, this became a literal verb last year. Let's get nadied was all over Twitter. It was all over Instagram. It was all over those kind of blokey meme pages. So many people made this a meme, made this a joke, made this a point of, shame for Nadia Bartel but then instantly when it happens to a guy we go oh everyone wrap our arms around him as we should reminder we should do that 
But where the fuck was that compassion in September last year? Well, I dug into some pre-match commentary on (laughs) (laughs) Triple M of all places. The shit that I do for this job. Because it had been pointed out to me by Ray who works in the office that they had spoken about this as well, about the Bailey Smith thing. And so I listened to a bunch of former footy greats talk about this story and they basically said Bailey's response has been excellent since. He's clearly owned it. He'll put his head down and bum up. He's made a mistake. He's owned it. He'll move on. Another quote that I found really interesting was he shouldn't be ashamed we shouldn't wrong the person. All we did was shame Nadia. We shamed her so badly she went off social media for months. And maybe that's what you think she should have done or whatever, but I don't think that's what should have happened. Again, as we said, there were layers to this story, but we shamed her as a woman for partaking in that kind of behaviour and insinuated that she was, I don't know, messy, dirty, ill-behaving, unruly, all those kinds of things that we don't ascribe to Bailey Smith and I do wonder if in part it's because she didn't come out and say her mental health was really affected at the time. I would hazard a guess that was the case given the loneliness we were all going through with lockdown exactly as well and I would also hazard a guess if Nadia Bartel had have mentioned mental health in her statement instead of us saying what a tough time she's going through the public would have said she's shifting blame, she's distracting, she's falling on the mental health card. Like almost no matter what Nadia would have done in this position, we would have gone even harder at her. And I wonder, is this partly, again, it's not identical stories, is it partly about gender? Is it partly about age that we see young men behaving in this kind of way, partying too hard, and we see it in a completely different framework to how we see women in their 30s or maybe even approaching 40. Is it about motherhood? Do we see that mothers need to be so much more innocent and pure and domesticated than we do 21-year-old men? And is that – like I'm curious, I'm genuinely asking this question because I'm not 100% sure with where I stand. I have a fair idea. But is that – fair to do that to mothers that you need to now give up partying forever and never touch drugs again like there are so many layers to this that I just find so interesting because we've got two stories that have very clear similarities but completely disparate coverings in the media I would say I think that there was a unique timing with the Nadia story with the lockdown I do think people were sad and anxious bored and depressed yeah and I think maybe 30% of public anger came from that but I would argue that the majority of the media coverage I would say almost 80% of it had everything to do with the fact that she was a woman but largely because she was a mother Mm. I think like to be honest the media coverage didn't care as much about lockdown from going back through it the public did yeah. But the media didn't. The media coverage cared a lot about the white powder and I think they cared a lot about the fact that she had two kids at home as well. Mm. We are so curious to hear your thoughts on this one. Annabelle Lee, any mm. thoughts while you've been listening? Anything to add? Oh, God, it is brutal, the media. And they really went after, like, every aspect of her life, like her being a mother, everything. And it was, like, in hindsight. And also I can recognise in myself that my reaction wasn't, like, the most empathetic and that might have something to do with lockdown. But God, yeah, I think they handled it so terribly. Yeah. It's a, I think when you put these stories side by side, it's like there's a lot for a lot of us to unpack, mm. to be honest. A lot for the media to unpack. But we will be getting your thoughts on this as always tomorrow for your Safe Friday because I just feel like you guys will have some wonderful wisdom to share with us. You always do. Come follow us on Instagram. We're at Shameless Podcast. We're also on TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast. Subscribe to our newsletter. Do all of the things. You'll find links for all of that in our show notes. Anything to add, Annabelle Lee? No. 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 Thank you so much, guys. We will be back in your ears on Monday for another episode of Scandal. Bye. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.